Hello and welcome to Dragon's Demise, the podcast about what happens on, around, and behind the tabletop. I'm your host, Greg B. And I'm Jacob. And we're back for another exciting episode. So, what have we been playing lately, Jacob? Well, let's start with you, because you've been playing the actual board games. That's true, yeah. I, you haven't had a chance to play board games for yes. reasons that we'll get into in a moment. But I have. I was able to sit down with some of our friends from campus, and we had a chance to play another game of Eldritch Horror. So that was a lot of fun. We fought a different Elder God this time. It went a lot better. We actually beat the game, which is, is exciting. I'm, I'm 50% win rate. But go. So that was good. I had a chance to play Five Tribes. It's been a while since I got to sit down for a game of that, but that was a lot of fun. I had forgotten how much nuance there is in a game of Five Tribes. Yeah, I know. It's, it's a game that I haven't played in a while, but I definitely want to play again sometime. Yeah, but so that was a lot of fun. We didn't play with the Artisans expansion. So it was just the base five tribes. It was a lot of fun. I put together a genie strategy, but didn't quite get me over the top. Came in second. Besides that, I also had a chance to play a couple rounds of Splendor with another one of our friends. And I know you're not a big fan of that, but it was it was refreshing. You know, it was really actually a simple enough game that we were able to watch some YouTube streams while we were playing. You know, we just kind of look down whenever it was our turn and pick out what we were going to do. And I think that's... There's something about a game of that particular style that I appreciate, you know, because I'm all for sitting down with a real heavy Euro brew crafters or alchemists like we're going to talk about today and really devoting all my energy to it. But there's also something to be said, I think, for a game that's just real light, real casual, something that you can play while you've got the TV on. But so, yeah, those are the games that I've been playing lately. And you, on the other hand, have been playing some D&D. Yes, I have. And that's one of the reasons that I wasn't able to play any board games at Gamers was because I had the D&D session during Gamers instead of our regular time. Right. So it's been going pretty interesting. Yeah, I hear you got framed for murder. Yes, we got framed for murder at the very end of the session. A murder that I will say we did not commit. For once. Yeah, we committed many other murders, but not this one. So it's that kind of thing. And, I mean, the murders that we committed were of slavers who were not dressed in town guard uniform at all. And though they posited that they were town, like, guards, we didn't believe them because they didn't have uniforms. They looked like mercenaries and they were having slaves go down into the ruins of of, like, a fort. Sounds reasonable. I would have thought that we would get rewarded for something like that, (laughs) not punished. But yeah, so apparently we're in jail now, and we will see what happens next time. I hear that you had something to do with that, though, because you helped advise our GM about it. Oh, that's right. Oh my gosh, that was so long ago now. Yeah, no, um, the you guys' GM came to me as a someone who frequently plays RPGs, but is not actually in that particular campaign. And he said, you know, I've got my party, they're in this situation what do you think I should do? So yeah, I uh, I suppose I am somewhat responsible for that happening to you all. Yep. So. I shall try to suppress my glee. <laughs> it is the glee of every DM like that. Problem being that at the very end of the session, as we were walking out, they started saying, oh, we'll just frame it all on Kemroft, and then, which is my character. <laughs> oh, of course. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, then we'll have to kill two birds with one stone. Because let's just say that I am not the most trusted member of the party currently. (laughs) Right. Well, it did finally come to light that you are not, in fact, a cleric. Well, no. It's actually that I was... So, the way I joined the party, as some of the listeners may have heard a little bit about, is that I posed myself as an entertainer. 
And I never said anything else. I never said bard. They just That's translated right. it. It was bard. bard. But I was an entertainer by background. That did not mean that I was a bard by class. Gotcha. So I never actually lied to them. Some legalese right there. You it is definitely in. legalese, but I swear I never lied to them. I just said that I was an entertainer whenever they asked who I was. I am actually a rogue and a cleric of Vecna. So okay. I mean, bards are basically cleric rogues anyway. So Yeah, I mean, like I did it from a different path and, you know, that kind of stuff. But I have, um, have some interesting things going on there because we just fought the uh, cult of Vecna in which I had a really tough time figuring out which side to really back. I bet that didn't endear you to your party members. Well, yeah. It was the kind of thing where like one of the party members, he, the, the new guy, he just started. We met him while we were in the caves. Oh, wow. First of all, he made a deal with an abolith. Mm, yeah, that's just not, that's not done. Yeah, I mean... It's like making a deal with Cthulhu. You don't want to do that kind of stuff. <laughs> and you'll probably end up going insane. Yeah. So he made that deal with Ableth to let us across this one chasm kind of thing. And also spare his life because he tried to swim across it. Oh, okay. So this was after you met him? This was after we met him. Okay. Yeah. This was with us. All right. And everything. And then he made this deal saying that, yes, we will get this amulet from this guy because it's protecting him from you, for example. Like that, right? Sure. So that being the case, it was like... Yeah, sure, I guess we'll take this deal. Like, the rest of us has already been made. Might as well, like, make use of it. So we go across, and then we're in this large cavern where we see, we start exploring, and then we see, like, a light somewhere across the bridge. And our monk character, Rowan, who I think I've decried a few times on the podcast, <laughs> he goes running across the bridge. Okay. So that's the first thing that happens. And then he tries to sneak. Like, we're all like follow him. We're just like I'm at the very end. I was like, oh god, why is he doing this? Why not just like you know let us scout out, and not use him who is a monk who doesn't really know how to sneak. Nope. So he goes forward, and then like we're in the middle of like discussing. Okay, how are we gonna scout this out on the other side before we got to the village? He's like, I'm gonna go, and he went and like tried to sneak. Roll the one. Yeah. Those damn dirty dice. So he was found out. And a few of the guards, like two guards, came from, uh, from the camp to investigate it because there was a, so a noise of some sort. Well, these things happen in a lava-filled, like, you know, cavern. So our new guy, he sees them coming up, and I'm pretty sure that between the monk and, like, the rest of us, we probably could have very silently taken care of those two and, just, and still had the element of surprise. Okay. Or at least somewhat of surprise. Like we could have retreated back a bit. We could have done something else. We would have been able to do this a little bit more easily. But their new character stands up and yells, Charge! At the top of his lungs. Okay, so the opposite of stealth. Yes, the exact opposite of stealth. And therefore, we have a camp of 30 plus people <laughs> coming down on us. There are cages with slaves in them. So we decide to free them. Sure. Yeah, a lot of slaves in this campaign. Yeah. And so, because the slaves were coming from the town to mm, here. Okay, and, right, yeah, right. That's just how it was working. And so they decided they decided to free them and, you know, use them to fight. You know, if you want your freedom, fight kind of thing. Okay, yeah. But I also now see that, well, there's a shit ton of Vecna symbology around here. Oh, this is my people. <laughs> So at first I'm just like, okay, so I'm going to pretend to sneak over to one of the cages and unlock it, but then not really unlock it. 
kind of thing. So that it looks like I'm helping, but I'm really gauging how the battle's going to look. And so if they were getting like overwhelmed and overrun, then I would reveal myself as you know part of the cult of Vecna and try to parlay for, you know, to stop this whole slaughter. But the battle was extremely close the entire way. <laughs> it was so frustrating because as soon as one side got the upper hand, the other side sent, like had more things happen. So well, clearly, like, if you had just joined a side right away, it wouldn't have been one-sided. I, I am not a combat character, so it would not have helped either side very right. much. But yeah, at the very end, though, like this robed magician figure uh, like appeared. He, with one attack, took like two of our members to zero. And, like, just messed everyone up. And it was at this point that I revealed myself because I was like, okay, so if I don't do this, they're going to kill them all. Mm -hmm. And I don't really want that right now. So, like, I revealed my symbol and, like, you know, talked to him and said that I was part of the cult. And, of course, you know, that doesn't go unnoticed. No. But he left them alone. Okay. He He then communicated to me what he was doing and then he left them alone. Okay, so, I mean, they have to be at least appreciative, even if they're not you, completely you'd understanding. You'd think. This is, no, 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 this is great. This is the beginning of your proper redemption arc. Well, you'd think that they'd be appreciative. They were not. Well, just give them time, you know. Yeah, no, they, they kept thinking, like, yeah, we could have taken him, we could have taken him. Like, you were at freaking zero hit points already. Ooh. Like, you, like, one attack of his made you lose half of your hit points. Yeah, okay. And you were at full. And yet they were like, they were just like, no, no, we could have taken him. We could have taken him. Yeah. And There's so, a difference now between resentment and pig-headedness. Yeah, and this was definitely in the pig-headed uh, department, in my point of view. Right. Of course, this is all coming from my point of view. Right. So yeah, no, you're you're a biased source, very yes, clearly. I am very, but very it biased it source. certainly sounds like a uh, an exciting session. Yeah, we went back to town. We got arrested, and yeah, so now we're in jail. And the only one who's still out of jail is the new guy, and that's because he, instead of going quietly with the arrest, he decided to attack the town guards. Okay. <laughs> Okay. So, we're in a little bit of a pickle. Yeah. Yeah. But it'll be fun to get out of. Yep, exactly. Looking forward to the next session and trying to figure out our way out of it. Yep. All right. Well, that's a little bit of what we've been playing. And now, let's combine Mandrake Root and Eye of Toad. That's one way of starting our review of Alchemists. So, let's talk about the game a bit. Yeah, let's. So, Alchemists is a game for two to four players in which you play students at a sort of magical university, and you're attempting to become the most renowned alchemists around. Now, you do this in a number of different ways. You can acquire fantastic artifacts. You can brew potions and sell them to traveling adventurers. But really, at the core of gameplay are the eight ingredients that function as your reagents when you're crafting your potions. Each of them is tied to a different specific combination of red, blue, and green with positive and negative, and large or small. And those are going to vary from game to game, which means one of the most important aspects of the game and one of the biggest ways that you can score points is publishing theories about which ingredient corresponds to which alchemer. Yeah, exactly. And 
you have to do find that out through your experiments. Right. And so throughout the game, you will be taking two ingredients and combining them. And they will be coming up with some kind of potion. And that could be a you know green positive potion. If you had a large green positive on one uh, reagent and a small green positive on the second one. But you can also get ones that are completely neutral and that cancel each other out. So they are exactly the opposite. You have a small red, uh, red positive and a small red negative, a big green negative and a big green positive. And they just combine and give you nothing. The way that you do all this is through an action selection mechanic. So you each turn have a certain number of action cubes based on how many players you have. And those go on any of the action spaces that are all over the board. And normally they can take one action cube. So for example, the first one that you do, it could be to get ingredients. And so for every ingredient that you want to get, you put one action cube. Then you have selling ingredients, you have selling potions to adventurers, you have buying artifacts, debunking a thesis, creating a thesis, testing a potion on your poor students and then and they do know, it for science they do it for science it's like the interns you know exactly you, you can just experiment on them and then you have when all else fails testing it on yourself right and each of these actions is going to take place every single turn and then who gets to perform which action depends on where you placed your tokens but before you place your cubes you have to bid on what order you're going to place in. So there's the bid track, and unlike a game like Five Tribes or Scoville or something with a, a more typical bid track, you're not bidding money. Instead, what you're bidding is essentially the right to take various cards. So if you want to be the last person to place your actions and the first person to execute your actions, you're not going to get any bonus. Or there you're is an option- to pay money. Right, there is an option to guarantee that you go first to pay one coin to the bank. But it's very rarely used because people don't like giving up their money. So most of the time, if you want to go first, you're just going to not get any benefit. And then for each successive rung down the ladder that you go in terms of when you place and when you execute, you're going to get more cards. So you can take cards in two different forms. There's ingredients, which, as we've mentioned, are used to create potions and used to figure out exactly which ingredient corresponds to which alchemical symbol. But there are also favor tokens. And favor tokens represent different people on the campus who will give you certain favors appropriately when you use them. So this might be the janitor who allows you to take one extra action out of the sequence. It might be someone like the barmaid who gets you extra reputation when you sell your potion, and so on and so forth. And all of these things are very powerful effects, which means the further down the rung you go, the more of them you're going to get to acquire. Exactly, exactly. And then the other thing is that is a bit different with than other worker placement games. It's not a, you know, I place, you place kind of a game. It's the person on the lowest rung on, on this whole ladder places first and they place all of their cubes. And this is so that the people who are above them can react to what these other people are planning. So being at the very bottom rung in a four player game can be very detrimental because everyone else knows exactly what you're doing and they can either plan around it or know exactly how to counter you. Right. Information is very much one of the things that you gain by being able to place last. It's not a game where it's strictly about the numbers and strictly about the points. It's about knowing what is most efficient and what's most effective for you to do on any given turn 
which is facilitated by having more information. So each person places all of their actions at once. person at the bottom of the rung goes, places all of their actions, then the next person, then the next person, and so on. However, once you finally execute the actions, the actions are executed in that sequence that we mentioned before. First you take ingredients, then you sell ingredients, and so on and so forth, and they're executed alternating. So when you place your cubes, for example, you place them in rows all simultaneously. But when you execute, you execute in columns. So you've got player one, then player two, then player three, four, as the case may be, going around in a sequence. So in that way, there's a chance for whoever placed first and executes last to kind of catch up. Maybe they get something, but they're also still going to be the first one screwed out of a turn if there's nothing left for them to do. Exactly, exactly. So definitely has pros and cons. You get more of the really powerful cards when you go place first and, and then go last, but you know there's the, the big trade-off aspect. Let's talk a little bit about the theories themselves. Right. These are absolutely one of the most important functions of the game, and they really form, I think, the cornerstone. So you've got these theories, and you can publish. And when you publish a theory, you pay a small amount of gold in order to say, I think that this alchemical symbol corresponds to this ingredient. And you put down uh, a ribbon, essentially a, a theory or an endorsement of yours in order to signify that you believe that this theory is correct. Now the catch is that on the other side of that endorsement, there could be one of three things. There's five points, three points, or a question mark. And the question mark represents what are called hedges. So essentially, if you're not 100% positive about a theory, but you still want to do it in order to get on the board because there are various game mechanics that require that you have published theories in order to score points, much like Real Academia. You want to be able to get theories on the board, but you don't necessarily want to lose points when those theories are debunked. So you hedge. You say, you know what? I'm really certain about the green for this particular one, but I'm less certain about the blue. So I'm going to say that this alchemical symbol corresponds to this ingredient, but my specific endorsement that I'm going to put face down so no one knows exactly what it is, is a blue question mark. And then if somebody does come along and debunk, you don't actually lose any points. As long as they debunk using the blue. Exactly, and this came up last game. Thank you so much for bringing that up. Yep, yep. So you do have to also guess what they would be, or what you think is the least likely one, and then that's usually the one that you'd think that someone would use to debunk. But, as Greg found out last game, not necessarily the case. Womp womp. Well, I've, I've had two that I actually put, stupidly, three points on that you debunked, so we're pretty even on that. Fair enough. <laughs> so, when you have these theories, the debunking itself is also a very interesting mechanic. And the way that you do that is actually different based, uh, based on whether you're playing the basic version or the advanced version. Essentially, with the basic version, you just have to demonstrate that some aspect of the ingredient is not the same as the alchemical symbol that's been given. So you, for example, prove the blue positive large that you said it is, is actually a blue negative. And you do that using the app, which actually we haven't discussed yet, but you do that using the app and say, all right, I select this ingredient, I select this color, this symbol, bam, this is what it is. And that's enough to prove. Whereas in the master variant, you actually have to prove you actually have to prove via an experiment that it's incorrect, which means you have to combine it with another ingredient in order to demonstrate that these two together do not 
add up to what you've said they add up to, which adds just an entire extra layer because then it's not enough to know that it's wrong. You have to know that something else is also corresponding to that wrongness. Yeah, exactly. You have to almost know what the correct one is already. Exactly. And let's talk a little bit about the app. So the app is for both iOS and Android, and it's nearly an essential part of the game. It's called the card checking app, I believe. Card reader, something card like that effect. Yeah. So it's called the card reader. And then you take it and you use your camera on your phone to look at the two cards that you're using to combine. They have like this little special stand on top of your other stand and other things like that, that you can put the two of them on there. It'll scan those two and then tell you what the result is. And if you test on a student, you have to show it. If you test on yourself, you don't have to show it. The way that it works is that it creates its own matrix in the back of exactly what each one is and then what the combinations of them therefore are. This can be done technically by a person. If you had a dedicated one other person who didn't want to play, who just wanted to be the app, they could do it. Right, and it actually does have a little, uh, like a cardboard, you know, cutout diagram almost that you can use to create a modular sort of legend for, you know, this thing, this ingredient corresponds to this symbol. But again, it's really just a whole bunch of extra trouble. You have to have an extra person who doesn't want to play but still willing to commit a couple hours worth of time. And the app is, is just that much easier. It's probably one of the most integrated apps I've ever seen in any strictly analog board game. Yes, exactly. And I know that some people don't really like that, but I think it really works in this game. Though you know, scanning them can be sometimes a bit frustrating, for the most part it's going pretty well. They do have very distinctive shapes, so the app can pick it up pretty easily, as long as you're not playing in a dark room or something like that. So let's talk a little bit about the overall feel of the game. I think that it feels like the theme and the actual gameplay elements are very, very well tied. I couldn't see some other theme being put onto this, at least not as fun as this one is. You could probably put it on as like regular research and regular university, but I think that it's so much more fun when you have potions exploding on people. Absolutely. I, it's very much a game that, you know, you're taking two things, you're combining them in order to try to figure out their fundamental properties. And if that's not, you know, alchemy, it's it's nothing. You know, it, I think the theme and the gameplay work very, very well together. This isn't one of those pasted on themes. And I really appreciate that. It, it's, um, it's very elegant game design, I think. Exactly. All, many of the mechanics are very well uh, tied in. I just really like how the whole thing feels together because, you know, it, it just works. Right. And one of the other things that I appreciate is similar to some of the other games that we've talked about, like Five Tribes, Brew Crafters. You've got a bunch of different pathways, a bunch of different strategies that you can execute. You know, you can focus on artifacts, you can focus on theories, you can focus on selling potions and increasing your knowledge of what the things are so that you can represent yourself best at the end of the game exhibition. But all of them eventually lead to the same place, points. So there's different pathways that you can take, and there's there's asymmetrical approaches that are still roughly equivalent, and I appreciate that a lot. Exactly. You could go for an artifact-heavy approach, which can give you quite a few points as well, um, there, or just debunking other people's things. Uh, and a lot of the mechanics are just really well thought out. Like we even posited at the end where the 
the mechanic for debunking in the master's level game, that is a really good equalizer. Mm-hmm. Because if your theory is debunked, you lose five points immediately. Yeah. Like, it's just, unless you hedged your bets correctly, like, you just lose. It's very intense. So for a game that, uh, how many points was uh, was our last game? I think our final total, you won, and I believe your final point total was somewhere in the high 30s. Yeah, so, you know, that's quite a bit to lose for for the actual like debunking of your theory. But that gives you so much more information. Because they uh, in the Masters level game, you have to actually use the two different ingredients and show which ones they are and then you know that those two ingredients create this other potion and so that gives you a whole bunch of information that the other player had that you did not right absolutely there's there's very much uh, an information reveal that goes along with that and you obviously get a point advantage but in exchange your opponent gets you know possibly even an astronomical jump in how much they know about the ingredients which can set them up for much stronger footing to propose future theories that are correct and therefore immune to being debunked. Exactly. But no game is perfect. That's right. And I think one of the things that we really agree is a source of tension in the game is its tendency to lead to analysis paralysis. You've got so much about, you know, every action has to be the most efficient, the most economical, the most correct, that you just get too much inside your own head. And that's a problem that's only made worse when you switch to the master variant and have the different debunking rules. Yeah, the different debunking rules. I mean, when we were playing today, I finished cooking dinner while while Greg was checking out you know, what he how he wanted to debunk something. Yeah, it and was easily five minutes, maybe ten. Yeah, exactly, and that's for one action in one turn. That's not even a full turn or anything like that. So definitely very prone to analysis paralysis, and so you know can be a bit difficult for anyone who wants a more fast paced game. Another thing would be the actual components. So this has a good side and a bad side. The the components themselves are nice. They really look cool and they're unique. And I can see the reasons behind all of them and how they work and everything like that. But there are some sticking points because they are so unique and, and they work in these certain ways. The first one being that when you actually create a potion you get these little uh small like round chits that say that show you there you know if it's a blue positive you have the blue positive one and you can take that and put it into this punch board thing that you have on behind your screen that actually you know just um holds all those problem with this is that since they are cardboard and the way that you know you have the punch outs from cardboard and everything like that especially round ones there's always those little pieces in the edge. They're not always perfect, something like that. So you put it in, and then you try to take it out at the end of the game. And they did a clever thing, letting it be openable, and then to try to push them out. But a lot of times it still flutes like the edges and makes them like separate and all that, which can be a bit annoying. Might be nice to have actual plastic chits for that, which wouldn't fray, wouldn't get destroyed quite as quickly. But that is definitely something that you have to look out for. Right, yeah, there's there's definitely going to be a loss of integrity over time that just goes along with kind of that unlaminated cardboard pieces. And then finally, one of the things that, you know, is very salient for us because we have so many colorblind friends, this really isn't a game that you can play if you're colorblind. You know, the three different colors of the alchemical symbols, red, blue, and green, are absolutely fundamental game elements. You know, you use those to prove a theory, you use those during your experiments, you use those to debunk a theory. And there's no 
differentiation besides the color. There are incredibly minuscule differences in some of the cloud swirl behind the color, but it's absolutely not noticeable in any sort of significant fashion. And it just makes it that much more difficult to determine which color is which. So maybe some sort of, uh, you know, solid color with a pattern behind it, you know, stars for green, squares for red, that sort of thing. But as it stands, the game is, is pretty unfriendly towards colorblind players. Exactly, exactly. So with all that being said, Greg, what is your final rating? Final rating, I'm going to give it a play it. I really do enjoy this game. I think it has lots of unique things going for it, specifically the integration of the digital app and the sort of mutability of the game. You know, you're never or very, very rarely going to have the same setup, you know, the same ingredient matched with the same alchemical symbol twice in a row. And I think that adds a lot of depth, but at the same time, it's very, very hard to teach. There's a lot of complex rules. It can take almost as long as an entire game just to make sure that everyone's on the same page. And even then, by the time you go through it, you're constantly having to refer back to these sorts of things. So I think that just creates such a a bog that I couldn't see myself investing in my own personal copy, and instead I would just play yours. Exactly. So this is another one that I will echo your opinion. I definitely say play it. Conditionally, if you really, really love just pure deduction, this is the game for you. I don't think that there is a single better game for you. But other than that, definitely a try before you buy kind of thing. Play it first. If you really love it, then invest in it. But it's not something that I would recommend right off the bat buying it. So same reasons as you, very complex. The first time I played it, I completely played it wrong. I think I messed up every single one of the rules. <laughs> so it can be really hard to grasp. But So there's our take on it. Uh, on the other hand, there are some games that we think there's a lot of similarities, a lot of overlap uh, between them and this game. So if you like Five Tribes, check out Alchemist. It's got a lot of the same sort of really thoughtful turns you know you have to put a lot of forethought into what it is exactly that you're going to do you have to make sure that you're being efficient and really you have to know the value of a turn you know that bidding system being very much the same so if that's an aspect of five tribes that you enjoy check out alchemists another one would be deception and murder in hong kong and this is a pure kind of deduction based game where you have the social deduction aspect of it where people can try to obfuscate other things but in its core, this is a game you can actually fully deduce. So if you like the deductive aspect of Alchemist, you would definitely really enjoy Deception, Murder, and Hong Kong. Right. And then finally, New Bedford. One of the things that we sort of touched on is that if you're the first player to execute your actions, there's a huge advantage that comes along with that. Sometimes it's locking other people out entirely. Sometimes it's just gaining a benefit. And so there's a lot of overlap, a lot of similarity between that and New Bedford that goes along with what's the strategic elements of where I place my workers, where and when I take my actions. So if you like New Bedford, if you like Alchemists, try one or the other. There you go. And that's been our review of Alchemists. Thank you for joining us for our review of Alchemists. We really hope that you enjoyed it. Please join us every Wednesday for our new series, which is What's New Wednesdays, where we post on social media on what is new in Kickstarter and coming out pre-orders and other things like that. So definitely check that out. In other news, we're still working on Century and Review. That should be out soon, as much as I've been saying that since the beginning of January. 
But we really appreciate that you have taken the time and are waiting for that. And join us next time when we will be reviewing Wizard School.